Hi, I'm Brock Goodall, lead pastor at Haven Campus Church. I'm excited that you've chosen to connect with our podcast today. And as we get started, remember, God is for you and he's got a plan for your life. Are you ready? Let's go. A lot of deep biblical knowledge. So when it was my turn, um, I was sweating and I'd asked all the right questions, but I had like no clue who I was. Like they were giving me clues. They were like, so you served under King Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm like, who is that? That's the weirdest name I've ever heard. I was trying to even spell it for my sermon and I got it completely wrong. Like there's a D in there and there's like two Zs. Um, and so I was like, nah, I don't know. And they're like, you were thrown into, like, you're not supposed to give people hints in celebrity heads, by the way. This is, like, completely against the rules. So, like, you were thrown in a pit. And I was like, oh, maybe. I don't know. This is all so weird. And then they were like, you made some friends that were lions. I was like, oh, I think I know this story. I'm not quite sure. And, like, there was a name at the back of my head. And I was like, I think I've got it. I think I've got this. So, like, with complete confidence and... <laughs> Assertiveness, I go, David in the lion's den! And everyone just laughs and they're like, no, that's not who it is, it's Daniel in the lion's den. And I was like, oh, cool, like I'll sit at the back from now on. Um, <laughs> sorry, Tiana. Um, but that experience gets me thinking about the Bible um, and how we can kind of group ourselves into knowing and not knowing. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you rock up to church or to something like that and you feel like you're lesser because you don't know all the stuff that all these other people know. Um, And today's question is really cool because it's, um, what is the difference between literal stories and figurative stories of the Bible? Um, Cool vibes. And I think to understand this question, we need context, we need history, and we need to know how to read the Bible. So, what does literal mean? I had to look up the definition. Um, It means to take words in their usual, almost basic sense without metaphor or exaggeration. So it's like stating it as it is. So literal is kind of like a biblical narrative. It's like, it's not supposed to necessarily be like, the tree doesn't represent sadness, you know, like in a poem or something. It's supposed to be quite literal. And then we have the figurative, which means to depart from a literal use of words. So it's metaphorical. It describes an object or an action in a way that isn't literally true, but helps to make an idea or comparison. So like all the English students will be triggered. It's like metaphors, like the curtain is blue because it represents her sadness. That's the kind of deal. Um, and I didn't know this, but the Bible has three main types of literature. So the first is basic narrative. So that's like 43% of the Bible. Second is poetry, which is yay, that one poetry thing, um, which is 33% of the Bible, and that's like songs, the Psalms, like I read before. And then there's prose discourse, which is like Paul's letters and that kind of thing. So um, we actually have a teaching team that meets, and Tyler Vanderveer said this really insightful thing, which was um, we treat the Bible as one book, but it's actually a library. Hmm. 
Good job, Tom. Uh, <laughs> stealing all these good things. Um, last time I told an anecdote about my brother, and again, I'm going to bring that one out. Um, so we look at story. The best, I want to be an author when I grow up. That's like my... <laughs> okay, it's funny, I'm not that old. Um, but yeah, when I grow up, I want to be an author. But the best storyteller in my family actually isn't me, it's my brother. So my older brother, Josh, if you've ever met him, he's like the most enthusiastic guy. He'll just like, you'll hear his laugh from like miles away. He's that kind of a guy. Um, and the way he tells stories is just, his wife can probably like agree with this, is that they get bigger every time he tells them. It's like the first time he's like, this happened, and you're like, cool, I understand. And then the next time it's like, and then this weird other thing happened, and you're like, Josh, I don't remember that happening at all. Like, he'll just, he'll get the, the story bigger and bigger and bigger, because he's a great storyteller. Um, he likes to do stories in epics. He's not a small story guy. And when we look to the Bible, the narratives, they're epics. So why do we have literal stories? Narratives, or what we would be considered literal in the Bible, they communicate a tangible thing. They're a lesson so that we can easily understand it and then kind of move on, or we can teach them to other people. The perfect story, I think, is the story of Moses. So a recap of the story of Moses. In the book of Exodus, in the Old Testament, there is a Jew who was raised as an Egyptian. His name is Moses. The Jewish people at the time are slaves under the Egyptian people. And Moses flees Egypt when he murders someone. Drama. And then, <laughs> thanks, Yana. <laughs> um, so he flees Egypt, and then God has this calling on his life to come back and set the Jewish people free. So Moses obeys and confronts Pharaoh to let God's people go. And eventually, Pharaoh does. So we have this horde of people that suddenly are moving away from Egypt to the promised land, but for them, it's the unknown. So with this story, we end up with old mate Moses standing at the edge of the Red Sea, his toes at the water, and God has told him to hold up his staff to part the waters. Moses lifts the staff and the waters miraculously part and the Israelites move through on dry land. Pillars of water on either side of them. The Egyptians follow but get crushed by waves. So this is a nice story. It's a package story of drama and victory. And then we think it will end there. However, we get this really interesting part. So after this literal description... Moses and the Israelites burst into song. So the song also describes this thing that's just happened. We have the literal, but then we have the figurative. These are some of the things they sing about. By the blast of your nostrils, Lord, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. That's just a little bit of it. But those words are so intense. Like, 
I feel like if I was in the, like a Jewish person and I saw these big nostrils descend from the sky, like that would be the scary thing. It wouldn't be like the Egyptians or the water. Um, and then it goes on to talk about the water's congealing. So I had to even look up what that was and it's like when something cools and it goes solid, so kind of like blood, or maybe think of like that bit of yogurt you take out of the fridge and it's like got like the solid part and then like the liquid part. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, but why do they do this? Why is there a literal and then there's a figurative? The figurative seeps into the literal. It's a retelling, but it's focusing on the things that we didn't hear before. So are these things true or are they not true? Or is this even the right question to ask? Some people think this whole story is figurative. And why? Because I think they think the story is so big, intense, and so out of the ordinary that all of it seems impossible. As a kid, I loved Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Does anyone else love the, the Chronicles of Narnia? Can I see like a raised hand? Cool. My people here. here. Um, and I think stories like that one are the reasons I want to be an author. And if you ask me what my favourite books are, I kind of get a bit like nervous because I think people expect me to say all these like long literature, like, you know, but I always bring out like my favourite kids' books. Um, and that's because I think C.S. Lewis and other authors who write for children have a way of communicating the wonder and, dare I say, magic or spiritual and they can put the intangible into words. Um, this bit is, ca I've called it big magic. Um, and I wanted to preface, I don't mean like sorcery. Um, because <laughs> that might actually trigger people. But I mean, like, this, this is what I mean, the spiritual potential for amazing things to happen. If you don't know anything about the Chronicles of Narnia, so it's like about this land that you can enter through a wardrobe, and there is this good leader, like good with a capital G, that is the rightful king of this land, and his name is Aslan. Um, and he's a lion. <laughs> Um, and, but the person who's ruling over this land is this white witch character. Um, it is not a literal story, but I think in some ways it is. The story is an adaption of the biblical narrative, so Aslan actually represents Jesus. C.S. Lewis was very theological and he wrote all this as an adaptation. And it relates to so many people. Like, I'll be talking with someone about this book and they're like, oh, Aslan, I love him so much. And it's not necessarily because they're Christian, but there's something so awesome about his character. And that's the power of story. These stories, like this one and the one in Exodus, they require childlike faith. And I think we grow out of that childlike faith. Like, we used to have such complete trust in a story, but now we try and kind of logic our way out of it. And I kind of want to push against that. We shouldn't lose our taste for big magic things.
because we learn more about him, but maybe we learn less about who he truly is in our hearts. If we forget his power, we forget his miracles. If I don't believe that he can help me, why would I pray for help? Why would I ask the Holy Spirit to be here if I don't think the Holy Spirit's going to help me? Or if I'm getting prompted to do something, I'm not going to do it if I don't think God's working in miraculous, big, magic, spiritual ways. I don't want to explain away his power just because I can't understand it. I think if we believe, we can be conductors of this kind of big magic because God wants to work through us. At school, we have these really cool Bible teachers. Um, And I'm not sure if they still teach this, but for us, um, they taught this kind of concept of how to label the world. And it's fact, fiction, false, true. Um, and they're these kind of four labels, how we, how we see the world. So something is fact or something is true or something is false. But what the Bible teachers do is they ask us to think of the world around us in these terms. So if I read a, a history book, would I call that fact? Or if I know that there's actually another side to that story, do I say that it's fiction? Or maybe you've read a book before or heard a song and it's like hit you in a way that nothing else has kind of hit that deeper level before, but it's not a true thing. So is it fact or is it fiction? Or is it a a truth? Are there truths that are at the same time fiction? In our teaching team a few months back, um, we were reading out the Psalm 22. Um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Kind of like the one I read out. And I do, I like, I'm a bit of a poetry nerd, so <laughs> I kind of like click and mmm when I like stuff. And this psalm just had me like, yeah, like doing these ones. And it's because, <laughs> it's because it's not n- n- like really something that's, true, it's not a story, but this kind of pain, this joy that we hear in a psalm can kind of meet us on a deeper level. In Psalm 77, there's this one line that just wrecks me. So it goes, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters though your footprints were not seen. How many times do we walk through chaos and walk through things that aren't necessarily waters, but maybe they're figurative waters, maybe something's not going right for you, maybe maybe something bad's happened, maybe you can't put together all the pieces in your head, maybe you just can't connect with that person that you used to be so close with. Maybe you're asking God all these questions. That is water, that is chaos. And I love that it says, God leads you through the mighty waters, though his footprints are not seen.
there's pain there, and there's joy. So why do we have these figurative stories in the Bible? Maybe it's because they articulate something that we can't. Did you know that in the prophets, 99% of how God talks to the prophets is in poetry? I think that's really interesting. Someone has said about that, Robert Alter, if we could actually hear God talking, making his will manifest in the words of the Hebrew language, what would he sound like? Since poetry is our best human model of intricately rich communication, not only solemn, weighty and forceful, but also densely woven with complex meanings, it makes sense that divine speech could be only represented as poetry, the language of poetry which helps us connect with the Jewish people who are so long separated from us. This point I want to say is maybe they're two brushes but they're painting the same picture. Literal and figurative. I know we kind of lean towards one or the other. I know some people are really logical and they like, you know, knowing the things and that's awesome. And then there's people who their minds are kind of like a squiggly Mr. Doodle drawing. Like they love the ambiguity and they love, you know, being able to express themselves in different ways. So I think God is a God who reveals himself to us in the way that makes sense to us. The other thing I love about prayer or song or poetry is that it's a call to action. Like those songs we're singing, there's something about it that you can't put your finger on. There's something that it feels like you're connecting with the divine. By expressing beyond what we can see or touch, we're in communion with God. Because worship is not just words, it's a response. One of my favourite verses is um, the one Paul talks about and he's saying that prayer isn't necessarily words, you can just groan. And that's a prayer, like... Um, we talked about it in our Sabbath school, like, does that mean people are just sitting there, like, making groaning noises instead of praying? But I think that's a perfect example of there's something human and, and divine about doing that. My last story is um, one I think that is really famous and that is really powerful from the Bible, um, and it's a parable. Jesus says that he actually mentions it in the parable of the sower and he's saying like, they're like, Jesus, why are you talking parables like you're confusing people? Just say it how it is. And he's saying, no, there's deeper levels of meaning. You're supposed to peel them back. There's supposed to be this process where we wrestle and where we grapple. So we've got the story of the prodigal son. If you have never heard that story before, it starts with these two sons. And the youngest son says to the dad, I want my inheritance now, thank you very much. And um, the dad goes, sure. Um, so he, I think he sells part of his land, he gives him his inheritance. And this youngest son, he goes off and he lives his life and he spends all of it because he's an irresponsible guy. 
Um, and he's so poor in the end that he's got a job to feed the pigs and he's so hungry, he's looking at these pigs and he's like, I want to be them, I want to be eating what they're eating. And he goes, hey, actually, my dad has servants and they eat better than this. Maybe I should go and try and talk to him. Maybe I can grovel and maybe I can be one of his servants. And then we come to Luke verse 20, I'm sorry, Luke 15 verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. My last point is not what, but who. See, the parable of the prodigal son, in my opinion, is one of the most powerful stories in the Bible because everyone relates to it. He doesn't even have a name, and I love stories in the Bible where people don't have names, like the woman at the well, because we can just like take our name and just like slide it in there, right? We are the prodigal son, we are the prodigal daughter. It's not a true story, it's figurative, but it is everyone's truth. This story is about love, redemption and grace. And all the stories I talked about, they all have the same theme, no matter the vessel of the what's and the when's. See, in the first one, the love for the Jewish people moving into the promised land is about redemption, grace, and love. In the psalm, love is the footprints that go before us in the chaos. In the prodigal son, love is forgiveness. It is mercy. It is grace. This thing we call the Bible is a continual story and a love letter to the Jewish people, but beyond that, to everyone. Love is eventually Jesus on the cross. God isn't any means necessary God. He has reckless love. People hear poetry or proverbs and they maybe think God's trying to put up walls. I don't understand. I don't know. I haven't heard enough. But I think instead God is trying to tear down walls. In the song it says he tears down walls, he lights up the dark. Why can't he do that with words as well? With the figurative, with the literal. So let's reframe the question. Because the literal and figurative, they do the same thing. Not knowing the Bible story in the first bit I told you about Daniel, that wasn't ever going to deter me. Because I wanted to know more because I'd already seen God's love. I'd already got a taste for it. I was hooked. I was ready to ask, receive, and to wrestle with it. 
because it's not so much about the what and the when, but about the who and the why. Hey God, I want to thank you that you have this power that is bigger than we can comprehend, that is bigger than us. And I thank you, Lord, for everyone in this church today, that we all have our own things that we struggle with. We all have our own giants. And we know that you have the power to help them fall, Lord. And I thank you. I thank you that you reach out to us in any way that you can to show us that you love us, that there is power with you, and that you have us in the palm of your hand. I thank you, Lord. Please be with us today. Help us be joyful and to be in communion with each other. We love you, Lord. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. Everyone has a story to tell and we'd love to hear yours. So why don't you visit havencampus.church and click on the link that says contact us. And there you can let us know about your story. If you've got any questions or want to know more, why don't you send an email to connect at havencampus.church. We would love to hear from you. And from all of us here at Haven Campus Church, have a great day.